probably like the first time like I kissed a girl would have been like when I was like wow like I feel beautiful not necessarily because this person is like validating me but also just because I feel like like feel like myself if you think women are interesting and literary arts are a pretty cool thing well come cozy up with the fainting couch feminists we got poets we got artists we got short story writers musicians memoirists all cozied up on the fainting couch feminists Get it? For you! No matter who, what, or how you identify, baby, we'd like to intelligently discuss your point of view. We're hysterical! Whoa, hey there, everyone. It's been a hot minute, but we're back. It's 2020. This is Fainting Couch Feminists, a podcast brought to you by Room Magazine and best suited to witches, bitches, and anyone who's ever been called hysterical. Hey, I'm your host, Michael Lemiski, coming in hot from my apartment here on the east side of Vancouver. I have a cold, as you can probably tell, I sound kind of a little bit like this, and my voice is about an octave lower than normal, but that's okay. I'm embracing this like sultry snotty husky version of myself god i've got we've got a really good guest to kick off the new year her name is cara nelison she's a poet fiction writer crow fanatic magic lover originally from the netherlands uh but living here currently in vancouver in canada oh my god and she's she's also a good friend of mine and also the author of a brand new poetry chat book with Rahila's Ghost Press. That book is called Pray for Us Girls. And I'm just going to read for you a tiny little poem from that book right now because I forgot to ask Car to read it during the interview and I just love this so much. So, okay, here it is. It's called Body of Water. Today I was asked for my favorite body of water, so I wrote about you and hoped I was yours. Don't you, I, I love that. It just, it's so simple, so sweet, just slices right into the old heart right there. Anyhow, loved my discussion with Kara. We talked about love and death and magic, which are three things I'm very interested in. And I, I really liked speaking with Kara about her dating life and about desire and the types of desire she's interested in exploring in her work. Like, Kara said she's most interested in kind of the, the lamer, less cool aspects of desire. Like, not the grand, sweeping, romantic stuff, but rather that sort of desperate pining that makes us all feel kind of sad and pathetic. That's what she's interested in exploring in her work. And I gotta say, that's right up my alley. Um, I have a long history of pining. Um, I mean, I guess just as an example, I used to have this huge crush on my brother's best friend, as you do. And this crush really manifested in its most intense form when I was maybe 16. Anyhow, so this friend used to stay over at her house. He would like sleep on the futon in the basement or whatever. And after he left, my mom would be like, go, go wash the sheets, go throw the sheets in the laundry because wait a second, why was I the one charged with cleaning up after their sleepover? Mm, I don't know, good question. Anyhow, I would do the laundry, but I would take his sheets and just smell them. J 
just smell them for a long time. Not like, not in a really gross way. Like I wasn't sniffing where his butt or other parts had been, but these sheets would just reek of cologne and I loved it. I loved it. And once I remember, oh God. So I took the sheets up to my room and I would just keep them up there and smell them every once in a while. Is that so bad? That's creepy. It's really creepy, but I'm coming clean. That was my version of pining, of pathetic, kind of disgusting, desperate wanting. And you know what? We all do it in some way, shape, or form. We fantasize. We smell an old sweater they left behind at our house one time. We smell the sheets they slept in. Whatever, okay? We all want love. Anyhow, Kara has a lot to say on the matter. We also talk about death and why Kara feels it's important to discuss death on a first date. We talk about her magical practice and how her idea of magic and ritual and spell has kind of evolved over time. Now, before I get to the interview, one thing I'm going to tell you, this is my last formal interview for Fainting Couch Feminist. Now, I'm not, well, I am stopping the podcast. Fainting Couch Feminists is coming to an end, but I am starting a brand new project which is also a podcast, and that will be coming out in fall 2020. I'm going to have a little mini episode in a couple of weeks explaining what this new show is going to be all about, but what I'll say for now is I am so friggin' excited. I think you guys are really going to love the concept for this new show. I've already got some very cool uh, notable guests lined up and... I, I just, I can't wait. So this chapter is closing, but another one opens, you know, new year, friggin' new show, baby. Before we launch into Kara's interview, I'll just let you know, there's a little bit of crackly noise for about the first five minutes of our interview, but that goes away. So it's a little annoying in the beginning, but it does, it does fade out. So I'm sorry about that. Tech issues. Driving me insane. It's okay. Here's the interview. You'll love Kara. Okay, bye. Okay, great. Well, Kara Nellison, welcome to Fainting Couch Feminists. Thank you. I mentioned this to you before, but the three main topics I want to discuss with you today are dating, death, and magic. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and crows. We're going to talk about crows, Good. too, because we have to. So I'm going to dive right in. I want to know, kind of off the bat, like, what does your dating practice look like these days? <laughs> How do you find dates? What types of dates do you like? Like, tell me about this oh scene God. you inhabit. My dating practice? <laughs> wow. I mean, mostly it's, I would say it's not going great for okay. the most part. Um, I think just like being like on Tinder, mm -hmm. especially queer Tinder in Vancouver is just kind of, um, kind of bleak sometimes. Like it's, like a lot of the same people over and over. Right. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say that's like where I get a lot of fulfillment, but I think, I don't know, I think it just sort of like, I don't have like a practice as such, I would like say. Like a formalized. Yeah, <laughs> formalized dating practice. I don't really know if anyone does. Yeah, <laughs> I think it just sort of, I don't know sometimes happens but not a lot of good stuff has happened from being on tinder was it was it different back in the the netherlands did you online date there too no i never online dated there i did um date in toronto which okay. i found a little bit 
easier. I think probably just because it's a bigger right. city, so there's more there's more people. Totally. I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know if anyone does, like I was saying, have a, a formalized dating practice. <laughs> the one exception I can think of is, like way back long ago, I interviewed Mandy Lynn Catron, mm-hmm. um, who writes beautifully and excellently about love and dating, and she kind of introduced me to this idea of seasonal dating, mm-hmm. where you say, okay, like for four months, I'm going to focus like just on me and my career and whatever, and now now I'm going to take two months and I'm, I'm going to focus on dating, and you go kind of through waves of like I don't need to pressure myself to do this right now and waves of I really feel like I'm up to it and I can like go on dates I think yeah I think that that kind of works if you like I don't know I guess I have access to a lot of dates right (laughs) like I feel for me it's more like oh like if something comes up like I'll go for it right even if it's maybe not like you know the best prospects um you know I've done that whole thing it's like oh yeah I'm focusing on myself and then it's like okay yeah but I've like literally been like focusing on myself like for most of my adult life so (laughs) um yeah and I think it's also like I think it's one of those things like that like it's a bit cliche but it really can't be controlled like I think that's something that's like very interesting about like dating and like desire it's like I think we tend to have all these ideas of like how we want it to be and it's like oh like not that during this time because I'm too busy and mm-hmm. like I'm gonna date in the summer and and then it always happens like when it's least convenient with a person who's like not at all like what you expected so I think I think it's also good to just sort of like surrender to For that sure. I guess and do you do you think there's any cosmic meaning to that like I think you have a line in your chapbook actually about things coming to you when you want them less mm-hmm. like have you thought about them in a way where like there is actually some kind of cosmic law to that I think it's sort of one of those things that like like people say and that I, I think there's some truth to that I think if you're trying very hard to make something happen um, it can make it like more difficult because you're really like grasping and trying but then on the other hand whenever I've been like oh now I'm going to like you know not make an effort it's not like it automatically right happens yeah yeah I actually this is a a kind of frivolous example but I feel that way with shopping a lot yeah you know if I'm really looking for okay I want a new jean jacket this spring yeah I can never find one I think because I have formulated in my mind this ideal jacket that I want and I'm never going to find it. Yeah. Whereas if I'm shopping for shoes and I'm like, oh, hey, I just, I happen to like this jacket. Yeah. But it feels wrong to buy it because I wasn't looking for it. I feel like those kinds of things happen all the time. Yeah. So I saw you write on Twitter that your chapbook, Pray For Us Girls, is largely concerned with queer pining. Mm. I like, I really like this word pining because it feels very full and alive and and very earnest. Um, I feel like pining is not something that a lot of people take ownership of, you know, mm-hmm. as a feeling, as a state of being. So I'm wondering, what does it mean to you to pine? And have you always been a piner? Uh, well, I've definitely <laughs> always been a piner, like born to pine. Um, <laughs> born to pine. <laughs> but I think it's 
I think to me, like, I also like like the word pining. To me, it feels like it's almost the most embarrassing part of desire. Yeah. And it's sort of like this feeling of wanting, but like not necessarily knowing if you'll be able to get it or like how things are going to work out. And it's like this... It's kind of like this longing mm -hmm. and it can feel really embarrassing almost to and I think also especially as a queer person like I think it like took me quite a long time to not feel like um like just shame about my desire in general or just like right. thinking of myself as someone like who could have desire so even like admitting that like oh like I have a crush on someone or like I'm attracted to someone like that took me quite a long time to not be like embarrassed right. about those things so I'm very interested in that feeling of sort of like desire like yes as like sort of like this interesting sexy attractive thing but I think there's also so much about it that is so lame yeah. <laughs> right it's like sort of like the uh when you're just like you can't get over like you know some very like minor attraction and you don't know why that's like right. sticking and it's yeah there's sort of like kind of like stupid little things like about desire that I kind of find more interesting almost than sort of like that like the sort of like big sweeping feelings of like desire that's like immediately like reciprocated right. and met and like works out it's like that's like great obviously but it's I think that other side that I think most people experience where you're like maybe kind of embarrassed about your feelings or you're afraid of you know like your own desires mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot there totally I, I love that you're owning that word it feels like a a powerful thing to do to reclaim things that we once were ashamed of or mm -hmm. afraid of I also feel like kind of related to that there's this feminist rhetoric you know that we should be great on our own and self-sufficient and like I don't need no man's no partner no whoever to make me feel whole mm -hmm. kind of thing all of that is great but I, I also think it does put this kind of shame on people who just really want to be loved and who want to mm -hmm. share their life with a partner. So I'm wondering what challenges sort of have you faced with balancing those two things? So being self-sufficient while still like wanting love and to find someone. I think, I think, I mean, this is like quite cliche, the idea of like, oh, you can only sort of like love someone if you like know how to love yourself mm -hmm. and be on your own. Um, but I think sort of like the basic idea of like being able to like be in relationship with others in a way where you don't like lose yourself in it. I think that's very important. Have like, you historically been someone who loses yourself in a relationship? Um, I am. I, I can be a bit like sort of like swept away mm -hmm. by feelings. So it's like kind of something I've had to learn is to be like okay, like, how do you, you know, like, stay with yourself, and it's, I think it's something that's very interesting about, like, romantic love and desire that's so complicated. Yeah. Because I think about that all the time, whereas, like, I don't, I don't think anyone, like, can be fully, like, independent and shouldn't be, 
Um, and I, I'm like, I have so many like friends who I like really deeply love and care for. And, you know, I have no problem like telling them I love them. And, you know, sometimes I see them more, sometimes I see them less. But there's something about like when there's like romance or like sex involved that makes things so complicated yeah and, and amplified yeah and everything becomes like an existential thing where it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like oh like what does this say about me as a person and I think there is sort of like this idea about like oh you can't like need someone which I think like I don't know I think there's like two sides to that I think it's like like everyone needs other people and mm-hmm. you need you know especially people you're in relationship with like whether they're like like friends or like romantic partners I think it's important to like you know care for each other but I think it's also important to have to be like in a place where you can like approach your relationships from a sense of like allowing things to unfold as they are meant to Mm -hmm. so like if someone is meant to be a long-term romantic partner like that's okay but if they're not meant to be that that doesn't mean you can't be like in relationship with them or love them or be loved with them but then that's different from sort of like I think sort of the idea of like needing other people and relying on other people is very different from forcing like a very specific relationship mold onto those relationships yeah exactly and I I think something I've also learned and have tried hard to integrate into my own life is like one person doesn't need to fulfill all your needs, yeah. right? Like, maybe your yeah. partner isn't the best at t- talking to you about X issue, yeah. right? So you go to a friend. Like, that's yeah. fine. We don't have to put all our eggs in that one basket because yeah. it puts so much pressure on top on yeah. one person that I don't think yeah. is healthy or can survive. Yeah. yeah, and at the same time, too, though, I think, like, especially, like, living in, like, a society where a lot of value is placed like, onto romantic relationships, I think it's easy to sort of say, like, oh, you know, like, there are so many other ways of love, and you should just be okay with, like, you know, not having a romantic partner. Um, But I think that can be very hard, Mm -hmm. too, because I think sometimes, like, our, like, ideals don't always align, like, with the reality. Oh. Oh, for sure. Right? If sort of, like... Um, lots of people around you like organize in sort of like monogamous pairs it can be sometimes hard when you don't have that yeah exactly um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that's like a moral like failure yeah oh for sure um, you mention in, in this book too that okay I'm going to quote you here actually um, so you say I always talk about death on a first date <laughs> But I still want to hear about the first time you felt beautiful and the last time you got lost. So first I want to know why you feel it's important to talk about death on a mm-hmm. first date. And how do you go about introducing that topic? Um, I think, well, I think that's more sort of like an example of me like being an oversharer, which okay. <laughs> I am in general. And I tend to go like, like quite deep, like sometimes maybe like too deep, especially with people I've just met. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if I feel like there's a connection, I tend to just go immediately into, like, oh, like, what are your views on death, and do you (laughs) think there's an afterlife? Right. Um, almost, I guess, as a way of 
connecting, mm-hmm. which is like I don't necessarily recommend. I don't necessarily <laughs> know that that's a good thing, but it sort of tends to be like how I talk. Like I like yeah. talking about death and like heavy, um, heavy things and. You know, some people really like that and some people don't. So it's also kind of important to gauge, like, if people are totally up for talking about that. Yeah, obviously. that's a, an important part of yourself. Yeah. You share. Yeah. Um, do you believe in an afterlife? What do you think happens when we die? Um, I don't know. For someone who, like, talks about death a lot, I, like, don't really, like, have any very well-defined ideas mm-hmm. about it. I... I don't know. I think it's sort of like as the way I think about it now, it's mostly like um like like shifting, like changing. Like I remember like when my dad died, we talked a little bit about like what he thought oh, about wow. um about like life and I I remember my sister compared it kind of to being like a hermit crab, which are also actually in my book in but book. in a in a different way. Like I, I wrote like that, that before she said that and sort of like about just taking on, like, a different kind of shell or, like, right. going, like, somewhere else. It's just kind of shifting. It's not really, like, disappearing or going away. It's more like, I think, just, yeah, or, like, water, like, evaporating. But it's, like, it's, like, a different form, but it it's not really, like, you know, you're not totally being taken out of, the, yeah. out of the equation, I guess. So I'm assuming, then, your your dad was someone who's willing to have those deep conversations. Um, yes, sometimes, yeah. 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 Well, has, since he passed, that was just over a year ago, yeah. right? And so has your ideas about death changed since that? I mean, I think, I think it sort of had, like, an impact in it being like like a more like like real like I, I had like I've known people who died before that but like not like that mm-hmm. like that closely um and I think just sort of like I think like the, the just watching like the process of it it's like I think before I sort of thought of it as like this maybe like yeah, almost like peaceful process like once you've accepted it it's sort of like oh you're passing on right and I was actually kind of shocked by like oh it's actually like a pretty just like visceral like violent right. like like thing it didn't like actually seem that peaceful to me mm-hmm. in the moment um but I think that's actually like on like our side of things so like being like in the the body I right. don't I don't think that's like on the other side that's of really it. That's very fascinating. I death has always been something I, you know, like most people, has fascinated me my whole life. Um, I don't know what happens when we die. I don't think. I think if anyone thinks they know for sure, like that's the only view that I find kind of insufferable. Is like, how can you really know? Yeah. I don't trust that. Yeah. No, I don't think you can know. Yeah. I want to go back to that quote too, um, where you say you always talk about first date or mm-hmm. talk about death on a first date but still want to hear about the first time you felt beautiful and the last time you got lost. When was the first time you felt beautiful and the last time you got lost? Oh, God. I think for me, like, like feeling beautiful is, it's, like, such an interesting, like, thing. Because mm-hmm. I, I think I just, like, I think I, I don't really remember someone, like, saying to me like oh you're beautiful but I remember I guess sort of the first time like someone like desired me yeah which 
for me was like very like transformative because I think I had always sort of felt like like oh like maybe I was like like smart or you know things like that but I sort of like also almost I think there's also this thing where like oh you're not supposed to really like be interested in like you know being beautiful right being pretty if you're on the smart path you're like you're above that like yeah or yeah or being something where you're like oh well I guess that's like maybe not for me Mm -hmm. but I think also just realize even just like getting older and like you know like my mom always used to say like oh you know when you're older you care way less about these things like you know than when you're like a teenager and I could never imagine that yeah and I think now that I'm getting older, I'm like, wow, that is actually so true. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just the way that like I find people beautiful is right. like has evolved so much and it's so much better. And I think for me also just the experience of like, yeah, I would say like the first time, probably like the first time like I kissed a girl would have been like when I was like, wow, like I feel beautiful not necessarily because this person is like validating me but also just because I feel like like feel like myself wow and when did that happen for you um that was like like in my early very early 20s yeah yeah. oh that's very cool um what about the last time you got lost when I got lost I got lost all the time (laughs) um because I am always too lazy to look right on a, like, look at a map and then I just start I'm always like oh my intuition will lead me to where I need to be and then I get very lost um I can't remember specifically but yeah, yeah I'm like I'm always like wandering lost. around I, I think there's something I mean depending where you are but I think there can be something so beautiful about being lost and not god not looking at your phone to find you um just kind of wandering around and finding things because I think when we're lost we really are paying attention and trying and like working with the world to reorient ourselves and that can be such a fulfilling thing yeah well it's like when you like when you first move to a city like Mm -hmm. I remember when I first moved to Vancouver like I was so exhausted all the time because I didn't know like where anything was. Right. I didn't know which bus to take. Yeah. I didn't know where to walk. I couldn't even like now if I get lost, I sort of know how to find my way back. But in the beginning, it was just so like intense because you don't mm-hmm. know where you're going. You don't know how to orient yourself. You don't know where you are. Um. So I think when I just like think back of that time, I feel like it's almost like just like all these memories come back to me of like I remember the streets so perfectly that I walked because I didn't know them and it's like you're almost like an animal like scoping out like its environment because you're like I don't know where I am. I I think that's what kind of traveling and moving and stuff does for us is it, it gives us this ability to feel strange in a place I'm I'm absolutely like plagiarizing something Zadie Smith said in a discussion I um listened to with her but she was saying how she's never really had a home and traveling around and going to new places like allows her to never settle and by never settling she never like becomes part of the surroundings she maintains a distance Mm -hmm. and can therefore observe them better like you know when you're walking down a street you always like that's very familiar to you and then you look up and suddenly you're like, oh my God, I never knew there was a statue on that roof. Yeah. It's huge. How did I not yeah. notice it? Um, okay. I want to talk about magic. 
Because I know you have some magical practices. So first off, I guess I want to define what magic means to you. Like, what is mm-hmm. magic in your opinion? Um. Well, I think for me, like, sort of like my, like, my spiritual practices, like, if I would call them that, like, they're still so, like, like, sort of in flux and, like, under developed like Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm always like developing and learning so but I think for me the biggest thing has been like I think like sort of growing up like in like like a pretty like conservative like like Christian environment Mm -hmm. like I think I used to have this kind of like transactional idea of like religion and then later that kind of transferred into like I guess, like, more magical stuff, right. like, sort of the idea of, like, oh, you know, if you need help, you pray, and you get, or your problem will be solved, right. or, like, so you pray so this bad thing doesn't happen, or you cast a spell, so maybe this person mm-hmm. that I have a crush, crush on will, like, magically fall in love with me, mm-hmm. and... I think sort of like being a little bit like further along in that and having thought about it more, I'm like, oh, I'm sort of realizing like, oh, the thing I'm like trying to do, it's not really to sort of like, you know, make sure this bad thing doesn't happen or like making sure that like this person will fall in love with me or like I'll get this job or like this very, very specific thing. I think it's more about actually like, finding sort of, like, the peace in myself to, like, carry whatever comes and to not stand in the way of, like, unfolding and to not be, like, wrapped up to my, in myself to the point where I, like, can't help others or be, like, part of my community. So I think of it now, I think of it more as, like, almost just, like, a practice of being in the world and a way of sort of, like, making sure I have, like, you know, like almost like just like the inner calm or peace mm. to, um, to actually be the person I need to be to like, right. you know, like be good to myself, but also like the people around me rather than just focusing on like, oh, what do I want? Like, right. how do I get, get it? it. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So then do you add an element of ritual to that? Like, you know, you're talking about mm-hmm. magic, but this yeah. way of being in the world and kind of yeah. being in tune with yeah. yourself and your community like, is there a way that you formalize that through a spell or through, yeah. like, a crystal situation? Yeah. Well, I have, like, I have lots of, like, candles and, like, I like to burn. Like, one of my favorite things is just to, like, write down, like, intentions mm-hmm. and things and, like, and burn them. Yes! Um, yeah! yeah. Because your house Yeah. <laughs> um, which, to me, feels like... I mean, I also like that because, like, um, like, my grandma always, like burnt candles like Mm. in the church for us like as like sort of like a way for like to keep everyone safe or for prayer and I like I still when I go into a church like I burn a candle so it's sort of like the idea of like candles and using them like to connect maybe to like the divine or um something like that like it Mm -hmm. really appeals to me what is the divine to you I think well sort of similar to where like what I was talking about earlier where like I I think I for a long time I was like like oh like you know like I'm not 
like I'm not religious I'm like an atheist because I sort of thought of this idea of like God as like oh this like like sort of almost like institutional creation where it's like oh you know if you do something bad you'll be punished if you do something good like you'll be rewarded Mm -hmm. like if you pray hard enough like right maybe things will be yeah things will be different um and I think for me sort of coming into an understanding of it more as like oh like it's not so much like oh if you do the right thing this bad thing won't happen but it's more I guess about yeah like about being in touch like with yourself Mm -hmm. and with others and actually sort of listening to like what's being presented to you so I think when I talk about ritual like that's sort of like what I'm getting at it's more like being in a place where I can actually like like hear what's being like requested of me rather than just like throwing all these things at the universe yeah. that I think I want because it's like I think there's there have also been so many times where I've been like oh my god if I had if I was actually able to like just directly manifest every single thing I wanted like it would have been horrible because mm. you know I think we don't always have like the ability to just like really see right um like what it is we need or what others need totally from us yeah oh I I absolutely agree I mean my I guess like I love a little I love a little spell or a little ritual here and there Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very half-hearted about it yeah and I think I do it in those times when I maybe feel a little lost Mm -hmm. like I, I think magic or you know, whatever you want to call it, if you want to make a vision board, if you want to, like, write down your intentions and burn them, it's sort of a way, for me at least, of imposing some sense of control over things that don't feel super in my control, and at the very least, that's a comfort and something Mm -hmm. to do in times of uncertainty. Yeah, I think also, like, especially if it's, like, you know, like, there are so many situations, like, for other people and for people you love, where there's, like, nothing you can do. Yeah. And then often I find it very comforting to be able to, like, you know, burn a candle for them. Or, like, you know, just sort of, like, wish something for mm-hmm. them. And I don't think it's so much about, like, oh, you know, like, wishing that, like, you know, this thing won't happen to them. And then because I wished it, it won't happen. But more about, like, I think there is something to that energy of, yeah. like, loving someone and caring about them. And, yeah, just sort of giving them, like, strength in some way. So are there ways, then, that you would use magic to kind of connect with your dad even after he's passed? Um, I haven't really, like, done that. I think it's sort of, like, I'm not, like, at a point yet, like, where I want to do that. Right. So, yeah, that's just not something I... Have you... I know... Does meditation at all feel magic to you? I know you talk about mm-hmm. this quite a bit in the book that yeah. you use meditation to, to cope with depression yeah. and a number of things. Like, how has that... Has that made any changes yeah. in your life or... Well, I think, I think meditation to me is like... It's kind of like this funny thing because I'm like... Part of me is like really invested in it Mm -hmm. and like whenever I've like regularly done it it has made me feel really good but then at the same time it's also so hard 
Yeah. And so boring yeah. a lot of the time. And I also just find it kind of funny, sort of like, you know, even just to look at your own mind and the ways you like distract yourself. And I think it has really also just given me kind of like a way to laugh yeah. at myself. <laughs> and like, you know, when you have that little bit of distance and you just see how you always have like the same patterns over and over and over again and rather than just being mad at yourself being like oh my god like you know being able to laugh at it and and observe the way your brain works yeah like pay attention to it in a way you might not otherwise yeah and I think that the best thing that like that happened to me was like when I was like in this um like like meditation group it was like a like a sort of like therapy meditation Mm -hmm. mixing and one of the things they like told us was like you know, people think meditation is supposed to feel, like, relaxing or good, but it, like, it doesn't have to be. It's just you just have to take this time to connect with, like, you know, how you're feeling or how you're doing, and, like, that doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to feel super relaxed yeah. by the end of it, and I thought that was so liberating to be like, oh, totally. actually, it's not a failure if I have just felt how afraid I actually feel feel mm-hmm. for five minutes that's still better than me just having like you know some other coping mechanism and not connecting with that feeling so letting go of the idea that it has to be like good or that like, you have to be good at meditation which I think it can sometimes almost go into where it becomes like a competition of like who's more enlightened right. and, like, <laughs> yeah, I know. and it's like it's like the opposite of what I guess you're supposed totally. to totally I I I like I really like the idea behind meditation and I do it like kind of with the spells and stuff like fairly sporadically. I don't have a regular practice or anything. Um, But I hate how it's become associated with this kind of holier than thou attitude, Um, which I think is kind of comical actually. And (laughs) I thought it was funny in your chat book, how you said as soon as you'd taken that course, you found it very, or you were more likely to dispense life advice to other people. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I mean, I think it's just one of those things when you're like, you know, like sort of going through things and mm-hmm. you're you're like, oh, you know, this worked for me. Yeah. And, then, and it's also, I think, mostly though, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's so much easier to give like someone else advice than oh, to totally. actually take it. Like the amount of times I've like told people to just like, you know, like, let let things be and, like, see how things unfold. And, like, I'm like, do I do those things? No. no like, <laughs> it's but it's so easy to, like, you know, like, yeah. um, give advice to, to, <laughs> other, to other people. Yeah. Do you incorporate magic into your dating life as well? I know you had mentioned kind mm-hmm. of, like, spells about crushes, but you were kind of maybe transitioning out of yeah. that form of magic. But do you still ever, do you do, like, a love? I I still do love spells but I think I just sort of have like a more like mature version of them now where they're not like oh about a specific person Mm -hmm. or like and if they are about a specific person they're like oh I just want sort of like the wisdom or guidance to let this relationship be what it needs to be right so that's what I'll like ask for if you will it's more like sort of like the clarity to let things unfold rather than 
oh my god, like, this is what I want, Forcing and like, it into yeah, this is what I'm requesting, yeah. and it's, yeah, yeah. like, more sort of, like, okay, like, how, how do I, you know, like, not let all my stuff from the past, like, mess up, like, how I right. interact with this person. Okay, well, I do want to talk about crows now. Yes. Yay! Okay, so tell me, I feel like the world is having a bit of a crow moment, or yeah. crows are having a moment yeah. in the world... Even, oh my god, like, here on Commercial Drive, so do you ever see the morning crows? Yeah. Like, at, oh my god, they're insane. Like, you go outside, like, just before the dawn, and the crows are everywhere, and then mm-hmm. I guess they just fly off yeah. to wherever else. It's kind of scary and kind of ominous, and I always feels laden with meaning to me, but I want to know, like, why are you so interested in crows, and when did this obsession sort of grab hold? I think when I moved when I moved to Vancouver, because um, like the apartment I lived in had like like a tree outside, and there was that there were always like a bunch of crows in there, just being so loud, and they made so much noise. And then here, of course, you have like at night every day all the crows. Um, yeah. They all fly to Seal Creek, so they're, it's just, it's almost like this, like, mystical thing where totally. they just, like, they're all going, and they're all going in the same direction. So I started getting, like, pretty interested uh, interested in them, and then I I just got a book from the library and started reading about, reading about crows, and they're, they're so fascinating to me, I think, for... A couple of reasons mostly just like I think it's very fascinating how they've sort of like they're one of these animals that actually like like thrives on our chaos like right. where there's humans like there tend to be crows mm-hmm. and like crows are just like yeah they love our garbage and like they love you know the mess we create like mm-hmm. they also thrive on and then at the same time I think there's just sort of like this mythology around crows where like People don't like them. They're sort yeah. of like bad news or like the sign of something bad going to happen. Or like even just like in Vancouver, like, you know, when I mention crows, like very often people are like, oh, crows. I hate crows. <laughs> like, you know, because like, yeah, they will like attack people and yeah. like, um, they're, they can be pretty vicious. Mm-hmm. But what I fi- find interesting about them is that they're sort of like, they're, they're like kind of like this vicious bird, like they're very aggressive, they, they, like, hold grudges, like, they, like, you know, if they don't like you, they'll tell all the other crows to also dislike you, and Mm -hmm. it's, like, um, yeah, like, if you piss them off, like, there's just no coming, (laughs) no coming back from it, so they're really, like, petty in that sense, and it's, I kind of like it, because they're almost, like, a mirror into, like, the way we as like people are shitty it's like just sort of like all these like petty things but then they also so they have this like harsh nature and it can be quite destructive too like they'll like steal eggs from other birds and all that kind of stuff but then they also have this very tender side to them like the way they like care for other crows who are sick or Mm -hmm. old or um the way they go about like their mating ritual they're also very sweet in a way. And I think that's a very interesting contradiction almost. And I think it's also what I find interesting in people is sort mm-hmm. of like their like their potential for violence, yeah. like with their potential for tenderness, like yeah. side by side, usually in the same person at the same time. So I think that's 
why I became so fascinated with them is that they're sort of this embodiment of like the potential for good and bad yeah. and they're they're neither good nor bad they're just they just are crows <laughs> yeah they are crows like you know like we are humans mm-hmm. and yeah and they're so smart and they're they're really interesting yeah to me. what what would you say is your favorite crow fact like number one crow fact uh, my favorite crow fact I think is like one that um like is in my chat book and it's about how they actually because they're such loud crass birds mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's sort of what we associate with them and then the fact that they're actually their mating call is like it's very it's very soft it's not like sort of loud like like mm-hmm. mo- most birds I guess go sort of louder when they're right. looking for Loud, a mate. Bright and big and Yeah, and I, I remember like like reading that and I was like that is that is so cute mm-hmm. to me. I think it's just like the fact that they're sort of like have this softer side to them, I find like very very sweet. And then the other thing I really liked is um the fact that like all the crows who do not find mates during the mating season that they like get together and right. sort of like have their own flock for a bit because <laughs> I feel yeah because yeah. like that's how I like often feel right with, you know like as a single person it's like oh yeah you know you start your own flock with mm-hmm. like oh, the other so the other single crows yeah I want to ask too what why is poetry important why do you write it what do you think it what does it do I mean, right now, I feel like we're yeah. talking about crows, comparing them to people. Yeah. Like, that in itself, I find very poetic, but the act of writing it down and yeah. putting these things out, what, what is that about? I don't know. I think it's, to me, it just feels, like, very essential for, like, shaping, like, how I feel mm. about, like, being in the world. And I, I don't really know, like, what I would do if I couldn't put language to it or and I you know people have different kinds of outlets and I guess I guess poetry is one of mine it's like I always I also write fiction um and that sort of has its own way I think of like communicating like feelings to the world but I think to me poetry feels a little bit more like spiritual almost like like sort of like almost like it's getting sort of like to some core parts like of the soul which is also why it can feel like a little weird now having like these poems out and being like oh yeah people who know me who maybe have never read my poetry are reading this yeah so it it feels a little it's very cool but also a little strange to be Mm -hmm. like oh yeah this is actually like I feel like you would know a lot about a person from reading their poetry for being more so than like like talking to them. Yeah, I I gotta say I love your chat book. It's <laughs> Thank so you. it, it. I mean, like the crow, there are like these sharp moments, and then there are these really soft moments, and the pining. I just, God, I it actually reminds me. I've been reading Little Weirds by Jenny Slate. Do you know Jenny Slate? So she is an actress and um, a comedian, stand-up comedian, and now she's just published a book, and I was sort of expecting it to be your typical kind of comedic memoir. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a genre that's really thriving mm-hmm. these days. I mean, Mindy Kaling writes a book, like, Abby Jacobson writes a book. Like, especially with women, comedians are writing a lot of books, and I love it. Like, I eat that genre up. But this one, I was expecting that, and it's so 
poetic and so like like your work like full of longing and she has this one it's a series of short essays and she has this one essay it's like a couple of lines and it says something like you know I don't want to slap you on the butt and say let's go <laughs> like I want to touch you on the face and say take me with you oh <laughs> and I'm like that's how I feel <laughs> I, I just love that um that tenderness and that admission of longing and mm -hmm. sweetness. I, I think sometimes that's undervalued. So, yeah, that's what I appreciate about your book as well. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Cara, it's been a treat to talk to you today on the show. And uh, how can people get in touch with you? Where can we find your work and uh, all of that good stuff? Um, well, you can find my work in my chat book, um, Pray for Us Girls, which is out with Rahila's Ghost Press. You can get it on their website. And I guess you can find me on my Twitter. Yes. Just, just my name, Karen Ellison. Cool. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Kara. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Kara, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a real treat to have you. And as my last guest... Of fainting couch feminists too, so very cool. I'm happy. I'm happy we ended on this lovely note. Um, as I said, stay tuned for more news about the upcoming brand new series with Room Magazine and with me. I think it's gonna be really cool. Next week, I am actually putting out a compilation episode, so that's going to include sound bites and little stories from some of my favorite interviews that I've done over the course of the show. So I think that's gonna be really fun and uh, kind of like a year in review or two years in review, more like. So stay tickety-tuned on that. Uh, now, uh, thank you as always to Room Magazine for your help in making all of this possible. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Lemisky or at The Fainted Lady for all sorts of updates and articles and news and jokes and all the things we like to talk about in today's world. So anyhow, I'm out for now. I'm going to go make myself a cup of tea. Tickety-tea. Okay, bye. Ooh, we've got room get it for you no matter who what or how you identify baby we'd like to intelligently discuss your point of view we're hysterical